Would you open your Bible with me this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3, we've been studying on Sunday mornings this epistle on Ephesians, this letter that Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, where he reminds them, he's encouraging them who they are in Christ Jesus, that they are alive now from the dead spiritually and that they have a rich inheritance because of God's grace now. We've learned that the book of Ephesians is broken up in three major parts, three major sections. The first three chapters, as we're looking at them today, speak of the blessings of the believer, our blessings, our inheritance, our calling. Then chapters 4 and 5 speak of the behavior of the believer, our response. How do we practically live that out? And then finally, chapter 6 of Ephesians speaks of the battle of the believer, Christian warfare that we would understand how we are to walk in the midst of Christian warfare. So here in chapter 3, we have to look forward to the last chapter of the first section, which speaks of our spiritual blessings. Chapter 1, he said, we have a calling, we have an inheritance in spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Chapter 2, he said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You have been saved by God's grace, not of works, lest any man should post. He says that we have a formation and a family. We're a building, chapter 2. But here in chapter 3, he continues to unfold, Paul, or unpack this mysterious plan of God for his church. The mysterious plan of God for his church. All of the blessings that God has designed for us. All of the blessings that God has for us in Christ. Would you say that out loud with me? In Christ. That is where the blessings are found in Christ. You see, a father once took his small son to visit a huge cathedral, stained glass windows, and as they're walking down that middle aisle, the son looks up at a cross that was there at the center of the altar. The son looks at his father and says, Dad, what is that big plus sign up on the front. But how true is that? The cross now is the big plus sign for the believer. That the cross has added God's grace into our lives. That the cross adds the best there is for our lives. Because of the cross, we have an inheritance. Because of the cross, we have a rich inheritance in Jesus. Because of the cross, We are no longer under the law, but we are under the grace of God. How many of you guys can praise God for that this morning? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So here he's talking to us in chapter 3 of God's divine revelation. He's explaining now the reconciliation in Christ Jesus that we have with God, but now with one another. That there is no distinction. There is no partiality. There is no segregation now between the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, that the law, that no Jewish tradition, no custom separates us, but there's a unity that exists now in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Now, the world is divided. The world, it's constantly at war, but the church is called to unity because we are called to be in Christ Jesus. So today's title of the message, if you like taking notes, would you 
write this down, the glory of the church. The glory of the church here in the first half of chapter 3. Because we're going to learn of God's plan for his church and then also look at God's purpose for his church. Number one, God's plan for his church and then God's purpose for his church. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word as we look to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have been heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how by the revelation that he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and the partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we stand, Lord, for respect, for reverence to your word that it rightly deserves. And we ask, Lord, that today you would open up our eyes, our understanding to receive all that which you have for us, that we would know what is your plan for your church and what is your purpose in the church. Lord, thank you because you have a plan and a purpose in us and through us in your son, Jesus. So speak to us now in Jesus' name and together we said, amen. You may be seated. We see here as we open up the very first verse of chapter 3, that as Paul is continuing to explain now the unity between the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, that he is going to pray for the Ephesians. This is the second prayer that we see in this epistle. But before he prays, he's going to describe, he's going to give his vision or his objective of ministry. What is he called to? What is he called for? Who is he called to minister? So he starts and says this for this reason. I encourage you to underline that and write that in your Bible for this reason. In fact, what he's saying is when I think of all of this, when I'm thinking about all of this, that Christ is our cornerstone, when I think about all this, that we are one family in Christ Jesus, Paul, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now notice there in verse 1 that he's reminding us, the church, the Ephesian believers, the Gentiles, of his current suffering. He's reminding us of his special ministry to the Gentile believers. And what does he call himself? Prisoner of Christ Jesus. We have to remember that during this time, Paul was under Roman imprisonment. And he was under house arrest here we see in chapter 3. He was free to move with the supervision of soldiers throughout the day. But we know that at night, he was chained to a soldier so that he would not escape before his trial before Caesar. But here we see that Paul now, wherever he was, he saw himself in God's will. I'm going to say it again that you would just remember that this morning, that wherever Paul was, he saw himself in God's will. He didn't call himself a prisoner of Rome. 
he called himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the Lord of his life, not the Roman government. He knew that he was under the authority, under the headship of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he called himself prisoner of Christ. He was serving the Lord in his trial. And every aspect of his life was in the Lord's hand. Every aspect of his life had a purpose. I think it's very important that we look at that portion there, that first verse of chapter 3, and we remind ourselves that wherever God has us, there he wants to use us. Wherever God has us, there he wants to use us. There he has an eternal purpose, an eternal plan. In fact, it was when he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, he was also in prison. And what is it that he told the Philippian believers? He says this, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Just think about that. You're go, we're going through a trial, suffering, tribulation. And you say, you know, the things that are happening to me, they're actually turn out, turning out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he says, it's become very known and evident to the whole palace guard that my chains are in Christ. I'm enslaved to God's will. I'm enslaved to this ministry and the calling that God has for me. You see, when we study the life of Paul, it really helps us to see our circumstances under the providential care of God's hand. Maybe right now you find yourself in a very difficult circumstance. Well, if you're in God's will, find yourself there being used by God. That God has a purpose in your life there. That God wants to use you there. That God is taking you through that trial because there he wants you to be suffering for his name and that there you would be an instrument and a vessel. That's why we as believers, when we're submitted to the Lord, we're not prisoner of our circumstances. We're not prisoners of government. We're prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever we are. In fact, he says, for you Gentiles. I'm suffering here. I'm prisoner of Christ but my ministry is to you Gentiles. Notice that Paul said, I'm a servant of the Lord, but I'm a servant to these people. You see his heart here. I'm a servant of the Lord, but I'm servant to these people. And it was the missionary efforts that you see throughout the book of Acts. You see out through the epistles now that brought great opposition to the ministry of Paul. But notice he did not retreat. He didn't back down. He was not only a prisoner of Christ, He was also a prisoner of the truth. And that's exactly why he carried this ministry. You see, a lot of the Jews that were believers were very aggravated, even within the church, towards Paul. They stumbled when they looked at Paul, when they saw his ministry, because he wholeheartedly accepted the Gentiles into the church. And he received the Gentiles without the Jewish law, without the tradition, without the customs now. And he preached to them, preaching them the gospel, just as he would to the Jewish believer, without the customs and the laws and the traditions. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 21 when he was there imprisoned in chains, attached to a Roman soldier, that he's going down the steps, and he says, hey, I speak their language. (laughs) And he says, stop, give me a permission to speak. And he begins to preach to all these people and this mob that's coming against Paul. And they're listening, they're receiving the things that he's saying up until the moment that he speaks of the resurrection and that he speaks of the ministry to the Gentiles. (laughs) Then they wholeheartedly rejected Paul in his ministry. 
Why? Because the Jewish believers saw the Gentiles as second-class citizens in the faith, as unclean people. But these were the people that Paul was called to minister to. These were the people that God gave Paul a heart for. In fact, Acts chapter 9, when Paul had a vision of Christ, he was blinded. The Lord spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, go and lay hands on Paul so that he would receive his sight. And what does he say? Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. He's a chosen vessel of mine before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. I will show him how many things he might suffer for my name. What was the ministry of Paul, we say? We see in Scripture that it was to the Gentile believers, that he would bring to them this mystery, this untold plan that never before anyone brought to them, that they shared the same riches and inheritance that the Jewish believers did. In fact, he says this as he describes his ministry in verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Have you heard of the dispensation of my ministry to you as I am in chains for Christ? What is that word dispensation? What does that mean? It means, have you heard of the stewardship that God has given me? If indeed you realize God's implemented strategy, his administrative management on my life, that God has given me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Paul was a man that understood his calling. And he was not disobedient to this calling. He was called to serve them. So what was he? A prisoner of Christ. He was then a prisoner of the truth. But notice in verse 2, he describes himself as a pioneer of the truth. God has given me this dispensation. God has given me this special responsibility. I am a custodian of this message now. So don't feel sorry for me that I'm in chains now. Realize it is for your benefit. I'm bringing you a message that has never been brought to you before, and God has given me this privilege. Let's look here at verse 4, because he speaks of this message coming to him by the revelation of God. This is incredible. Notice verse 3. How by that revelation, he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already. Now here in the portion that we're going to look at this morning, he refers to this plan as a mystery three times. Usually when we think about a mystery today, we think of something that is dark or, or something that is eerie and, or, or something that, that brings us fear. But the mystery that he speaks of here is speaks of a sacred secret, an untold plan that no longer it's guarded, it's not hidden, but now it has been made open to knowledge. It has been made open to understanding. And he says this in verse four, by which when you read, you may understand. You may understand that God has given me and revealed to me his untold plan. This plan has not been told yet. This plan has not been shared yet. But as I wrote to you, verse 4, it says, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. As you read this, you would understand my insight into God's plan for his church. That you would understand my understanding now, that you would see my understanding regarding Christ. God has given me, he's saying here, revelation of the truth 
for his church. I receive this from God. Now, one of the words that we want to notice in verse 4 is the word understand. God has given me understanding. Why is understanding so important? Why is revelation so important? Revelation by God is important for our understanding. I want to say that again. Revelation of God's word is important for our understanding. Why? Because what is not properly understood cannot be properly applied. And what is the revelation that he receives here? He receives the revelation that we are called into one fellowship, that we're called into one body, that we're not called to division or to segregation or to separation. We're called to reconciliation. That is the revelation. That's what it includes. And because of that, Paul has a high view of the church. You see, when we come to the word of God every day, we must not only come to the Lord for content in his word, we must say, Lord, by your spirit, give me revelation so that I can understand and notice, then I can apply. I don't just want to read it. I want to understand. Give me revelation so with that I can then apply. What is the revelation? That he has a high view of the body of Christ, of the church of God. How do you have a high view of church? Many people say, well, I don't even have to go to church. I can be a Christian from home and I'll be fine. Well, I've never seen anyone grow that way into everything that God wanted for them. You see, it's very important that we have a high view of the local church. How do you do that? By first having a high view of God's word of scripture. And then you have a high view of God himself because of who you know who he is in his word. And then you have a high view of his church, his bride, which he calls the pillar and the ground of truth. And because of that, we can have the heart that Paul had. What did he have when he thought about the church? When you think about the church, what what kind of thoughts come to your mind? Because Paul was committed to the church. He was praying for the church. He was serving in the local church. He was strengthening it so that he would grow and the church would grow as well. You see, when we have a very low view of church or church attendance or our commitment to church or our prayer for the church or us being serving at the church, we become very weak and anemic Christians. We stop growing. Now, Paul has a high view of the believers of the church, of the assembly, of the fellowship. And because of that, he's committed to them, praying, serving. Now, reaching out to them, as he receives this revelation by God, but notice how he describes it in verse five, by his spirit. The message that Paul has was not a man-made message. It wasn't an opinion that he had. It wasn't something that he made up because he had a bright idea. It was the revelation by the spirit of God. How many times do we hear about something and we want truth, so we go and we turn on the television? That's not where you find truth. You don't find truth in media or social media. You don't find truth in the opinions of man. You find truth in the living word of God. That's where we find the truth. And he says, this truth that was revealed to me, it was revealed to me by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So what do we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, reveal to us the truth that you have for us. Open up our eyes that we would see Lord, give us the truth. Verse 5, it says this, which in other ages or in other times, 
in previous generations, it speaks of, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. You see, before this message was unknown to previous generations, in the Old Testament, it was not spoken of this unity that we would share in Christ Jesus between Jew and Gentile. In the Old Testament, we did not hear about the division of the racial, social, spiritual distinctions that would be broken down through Christ Jesus. That was God's concealed plan in the Old Testament. It's now his revealed plan in the New Testament. That's exactly how we understand the New Testament. By reading the Old, and the Old we understand, and we're given light and truth to the types of truths in the Old Testament by seeing them revealed to us in the New Testament. But it wasn't an opinion of man. It was by the revelation of God. That's what we have to say, Lord, what do you have to say about this? Now, what does that person have to say about this? Or I wonder what they have to, that group has to say about this. Or look at the Bible, look at God's word. What does God has to say about the matter? Because God will bring the revelation to us. And it says this, But now, verse 5, has been revealed by his spirit, by the spirit of God. Why? The spirit is the teacher. The spirit is the counselor. The spirit is the best commentary. When you come to the scripture, we ought to open up our Bibles and there have a paper and a pen, a pencil at hand, and say, Lord, you are the commentary. Lord, would you give me insight, revelation to that which you want? He says, the Holy Spirit has made this plan that was untold to previous generations. He has made it known, notice this, it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. God has revealed his word to his set-apart, separated instruments and vessels that he is going to use with this message. A message that has been received by God through his Spirit And he now calls himself here a messenger of this truth to bring clarity. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does as we visit God's word. What does he do? He brings clarity. And he's saying God, through his spirit, has brought clarity to this untold truth. And now I can bring this truth to you. What an example to us, even right now, that we would seek revelation by the Holy Spirit. Not that we would want to please anyone, not that we would want knowledge, because knowledge is not enough. What we need is revelation by the Spirit of God. The revelation by the Spirit of God that instructs us and that then we can apply those precepts, wisdom applied. But notice as he continues to describe that mystery, verse 6, now he's going to talk about the untold plan that he's referring to. Verse 6 is this, that the Gentiles, here's the plan, as he partners with him in the truth, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That is the mystery. That is which is now revealed and seen, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with the Jews. That the Gentile believers, those who believe the good news, equally share in the riches that are inherited by God's children. In fact, notice how he describes that there in verse six. They're fellow heirs. Number one, fellow heir. That means that they also, we also participate in the inheritance that has been already presented to us 
in chapter 1. The spiritual blessings are for us as well. The heavenly places are for us as well. We're also adopted in his family. We experience regeneration through the blood of Jesus Christ. We also have a calling now by Christ. We're fellow heirs, notice, of the same body. We don't belong to a different body. It's one body. There's no segregation. There's no separation. There's only reconciliation. We're brought together. We're brought near to God, and we've been brought near to one another. We can both enjoy, notice verse 6, and be partakers of his promises. He says in chapter 2 that before we were without God, without hope in this world. But now we are with hope. Now we are with God. Now we are with promises. We are participants of the blessings and the promises because we also belong to Jesus. We have an equal status. There's unity now. And this is important to Paul because he did not only want the Gentiles to be saved, he wanted them to understand their position in Christ Jesus, that they share in the same legacy as the Jewish believers, that they share in the same relationship. You see, these promises, these inheritances, These blessings are not reserved for only one group or one person. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or gentle, Greek, free or slave. We're no longer under the law. We're under the grace of God. And because of that, the Jewish tradition no longer has power over us. We share in the same rights, he's saying. We all have access to these blessings. Would you know that? Would you experience them for yourself? so that you can apply them and grow up in Christ Jesus? You see, the reason why he wants them to understand this in the last three chapters is so that not only would they would understand them, they would experience them, they would apply them, and then his prayer later in chapter three, he says, because you're experiencing these things, then you can begin to grow. You see, a lot of times the reason why believers don't grow is because they don't know who they are in Christ. And here he's saying, you must know that you have been redeemed. You must know that you're adopted into his family, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a building, you're a family now. Galatians chapter three, verse 28, Paul says this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter, these these man-made barriers, these man-made regulations, these man-made structures now, These programs that man has made to separate one another don't mean nothing in Christ Jesus. We're all one. And if you are Christ, notice what he says, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Some would say, well, you know, we're Gentile believers. We don't belong to the inheritance of the children of Abraham. We all remember that song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you, why are we also his, uh, of his lineage, of his legacy? Why do we enjoy those blessings? Because we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, notice, it doesn't matter the nationality, the race. Notice, we all are partakers of the blessings together. We're no longer under grace, under the law. We're under the grace of God. We're no longer under the law. We are under the grace of God. How many of you can praise God for that this morning? because of the grace of God. 
You know, in, even in the nation of Israel right now, there's, there's conflict due to the Jewish law and tradition. There's division. The nation of Israel is at war, and, and you see that from, between Palestine and Israel there. And because of that, because Israel has been at war consistently with their enemies that surround them consistently, they have such a high demand for their security, even going into Israel. And we've, I experienced it personally firsthand, you know, in this last trip. You know, you go to LAX and their security is like none that I've ever gone through myself before. You know, you, you, they, they interview you. They want to know where you're from, uh, who you are, why are you traveling to Israel? I mean, I really believe that they probably thought that I was Arab or something. And they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to put a number on you, Art, you know. They separated me, and they went through my luggage, through all my things. They came out after and swallowed my tennis shoes, my passport. They wanted to know who I was. Why are you traveling without your wife or kids in this group? Do you even know this church? Come on, just tell us the truth. I said, of course. He said, what do you do for work? I'm a pastor. Really, you're a pastor. What do you do as a pastor? Tell us. Well, I serve the people. I teach them the Bible. Really? What are you teaching from the Bible? What are you teaching them right now? I said, well, the last thing I taught him was Ephesians. Oh, really? What's Ephesians about? I said, well, here's the moment. Here's the time. <laughs> no Jew or Greek, Gentile, we're all one in Christ Jesus by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> but you think about it. What kind of unity is the only unity that works, the unity that comes from Christ? That's the only type of unity that works, the unity that comes through Jesus. And here he's describing that type of unity so that they would enjoy it, they would experience it. Notice they would know everything that God has available to them and to you. And because of that, the byproduct of that is the growth of the believer, is the growth of the believer. Now let's, let's continue reading here, verse 7, of which I became a minister. He says, I'm a servant of this message. God has given me the privilege of serving him. That word minister doesn't mean a pastor. The word minister means a servant. Write that next to your Bible, next to the word minister, write the word servant. I'm a table waiter. That's what it looks like. One who's always at the bidding of his customers. One that is waiting, available, ready. That's what Paul says of who he is. I'm available, I'm ready, I'm willing to serve the Lord. I become a minister, a servant of this by the grace of God. There are many people that God has called to serve him. And oftentimes the battle, the struggle is, well, you know what? I'm not available to serve the Lord. I'm just not available. I know he's called me. I know he has a gift for me. But I, I'm not available to be a minister or to serve the Lord. You know, when you truly are a servant of the Lord, not only are you available, here it is, you're also willing. And you see in Paul that he was willing, he was ready to serve the Lord. I'm willing to serve the Lord in this message that he has called me. I'm here. I'm ready to just be a servant. I'm waiting on him for my next orders. You know, you truly are a servant when you become, and people start treating you like one, right? They say, well, I'm a servant, but take it easy, right? I thought you were a servant. You see, you know you're a servant because you have no rights. And you've given yourself over to be a prisoner of Christ. Paul said, I'm a prisoner of Christ, and because of that, I'm a servant 
according to the gift, look at verse 7, of grace of God, the gift of the grace of God that was given to me by the effective working of his power. You know why I'm a servant and a minister of God, he says here? By preaching this good news, this message, by God's grace, I'm a servant. It is by the grace of God that I can serve him. It is by the power of God. God has given me his grace. Now I can serve him. God has given me his power. He's enabled me. He's empowered me now. God gave now Paul the power to accomplish this ministry. And you see that there in that verse where it says, but the effective working of his power. It was the dynamic power of the spirit of God that is made available to us working in Paul for his life and also for his service. And you know what he's saying here in this verse, verse 7, he's saying, I see it as a privilege to serve God. It has been given me a privilege by the favor of God. I know that I'm doing it because of God's grace and because of God's power. Now, it's important for us to understand this because God will not call you to do something that he will not empower you to do. God will not call you to do something that he would not empower you to do. First, he calls you because of his grace. We can serve him by his grace, not because we're gifted, but because his grace is upon us. And then he empowers us, the effective working of his power. It's the power that works in us and then through us to make us ready to serve him. This is exactly why the only, the power of God can make Paul an apostle. And what God has gifted you, when he's given you a, a gift, he's empowered you for service. Notice, he's going to give you an ability so that you can serve him. He gives you the power to serve him. He gives you the grace so that you can be a minister. A lot of times we think, well, I don't know what I should be serving. Well, God, what has God given you a gift for? Use that as he's empowered you by his grace to be a minister. Or other times we simply don't know. We, we, don't, we have to pray. Some people say, you know what, pastor, I think that God has called me to sing. Let me hear you sing. I don't think he's called you to sing. <laughs> what has God called you to do? Here he called him to take this mysterious untold plan to the Gentile believers so that they would understand and have this mystery revealed to them. Now notice the purpose of his church now. The plan for his church is that they would be united, but verse 18, the purpose of this mystery. To me, verse 8, who am am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is incredible. What happens here? You see the humility that God's grace, that God's power on the life of Paul produced a genuine humility. It wasn't that Paul said, well, look what I can do for the Lord. Look how God's using me. He has revealed something to me that he has not told anyone else. You know you know what he's saying here? Thank you, Lord, because you have given me the privilege to serve you and your grace on my life, your power on my life. What does it produce? Humility. I am the least deserving of all God's people, he's saying. Of this honor to be given to me, he's truly humble because he, he had previously persecuted the church. In fact, in another occasion, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. He says, I'm just the chief of sinners. First Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners 
of who I am chief. He says, why me? I'm so honored that God would give me the, his grace that I can serve him. I'm the less, I am less than the least of all these saints. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. This is not a burden for me. This is a privilege. Notice, if you're serving in ministry, and you all are because you're Christian, ministry is a privilege. We don't have to serve the Lord. We get to serve the Lord. We get to serve the Lord. That's what he says here in this verse, verse 8. The grace, this undeserved gift, this undeserved favor, God graciously gave me the honor. God graciously, verse 8, has given me the opportunity. He has commissioned me. Notice the word that he uses, that I should preach. What an opportunity, what a commission, what an assignment that I would announce, that I would proclaim what God has done in Jesus Christ that I can serve the Lord with this passion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because your grace qualifies me to serve you. You see, what qualifies you to serve the Lord is not your experience. What qualifies you to serve the Lord is not the degree that you earn. What qualifies you to serve the Lord is not your knowledge. What qualifies you to serve the Lord is the grace of God that you have received. This is why we have to cultivate this heart that Paul had as a humble messenger. He steps back and he says, I'm just the humble messenger. I'm less than the least of all the saints to come and give you this, this message. Notice, to who? To the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've been given the privilege to give you the endless treasures. That's what it means, the unsearchable riches the endless treasures, or he's talking about the unmeasurable riches, riches that are available to you. In fact, the word here, unsearchable, means unmeasurable, something that you can't fully measure, something that you can't fully know, that you won't completely understand of how good and how full God is of his grace. Now, what are those riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, notice, they're the riches of his grace that we are never too far from the grace of God. The riches of his grace or the unsearchable riches are that we are saved or that you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus in heavenly places that he is sanctifying us, that he's preparing us, he's adopted us, he's sealed us now, that he's separated us for eternal life. God is using this man, Paul, to make this mystery into a reality and he is greatly humbled for the opportunity. You see the condition of his heart? He's saying now the Gentiles could come before the Lord in a way that they dreamed of before. They can have direct access. Before the Gentiles, there was a Gentile court and then there was a Jewish court and the Gentiles could not come and worship the Lord. They were got to stand afar off. Just think about that. Come into church and you can't come close. You have to stand afar off. Well, now they're understanding this deep truth that Paul is giving them of God's word. And it doesn't give this man a big head. Notice what happens. It gives him a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you because you're using me this way. It's not because of me. It's because of your grace. Do you see a man that is humbled as a prisoner of Jesus Christ? That understands that he is under submission of the Lord? And he goes on and he says this, verse 9, and to make all see, 
a propagator of the truth, a prisoner of Christ, a prisoner of the truth, a pioneer now of the truth, a propagator of the truth. Verse 9, notice, to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery. I want to explain, enlighten all see, make the gospel known to all people what is the fellowship of this plan, a life that is united in God. What does he speak here, the fellowship? A life that is united in Jesus with other believers. I want you to know about this mystery, the fellowship that we can have that was kept untold, notice, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. From the beginning of time, this was kept untold. This was untold until God would reveal it. And now God is revealing it to us, who has created all things through Christ. And notice, we are all a new creation through Christ. There is a new covenant now. The old covenant of the law no longer stands. The old covenant of legalism no longer stands. Of works doesn't stand. Of customs, of tradition doesn't stand. It's a new covenant. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. So now he's saying, I have the opportunity of carrying on this responsibility, the plan of God, the design of the church. He is living it out. A man that persecuted the church is now living this out. I love the, what the commentator Vance Hafner said when he said this, God is on the lookout today for a man who will be quiet enough to get a message from him, brave enough to preach it, and honest enough to live it. God is on the lookout today for a man who will be quiet enough to get a message from him brave enough to preach it and honest enough to live it. Do you see here how Paul is a man that's so submitted to the Lord? That he's quiet about this. He's humble. He has a contrite heart. He's brave enough to preach this untold plan, but he's honest enough to live it. Notice verse 10, the purpose as to why God uses his church to display this plan, that he would manifest his wisdom to all principalities and powers, as it would describe, to the intent. He has done this with intent. There is nothing that God does not do without intent. Know that. He is the creator. He is the designer. Everything he does, he does with intent. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. God's purpose was to display his wisdom. Notice how it says here, manifold wisdom. That, man, that word manifold wisdom means many-sided, rich variety, the beauty, the infinite wisdom of God, the glory of God. He wanted to make it seen through all rulers and authorities and heavenly places. Notice the angels are looking down here on earth, looking at the church as God has provided unity and fellowship for us through the cross and saying, the understanding, the plan, and the wisdom, the beauty of God. He has used us now to display his purpose. He has used the church to display his wisdom. And notice how has he accomplished this, this in verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's already fulfilled this. This is finished. He's carried out this plan of demonstrating the beauty of his wisdom through us because of his son, Jesus, it has been completed. 
the eternal purpose of the church, notice this, is to glorify God. The eternal purpose of the church is not to glorify man, not to glorify a program, not to glorify a name. The eternal purpose of the church is to demonstrate the wisdom, the beauty now of the Lord. And he goes on in verse 12, it says, in whom we have boldness. Now he's gonna say, notice what we have in Christ. Here's an invitation, verse 11 through 13. I want, I want you to know that as, as we come to an end of this message, there's an invitation for you. There's an invitation for us as we're reading these, these few verses, verses 12 and 13, that, that, that we have boldness, access, and confidence. Would you look at those three things that are promised to you in verse 12? In whom you now, because of Christ, because of our faith, we have identical access. We have boldness, access, and confidence. What does boldness mean? It's, it refers to a freedom to express ourselves. A boldness like a freedom of speech in where we are not silenced. We can come to God, express ourselves without fear or without shame. Praise God that we can come to the Lord and say whatever it is on our hearts. We have boldness. We can come and we can approach him. Notice that. We have boldness. We have freedom of speech. Not only that, but we have access into his presence. It describes it there in verse 12. Boldness, we can come and express in fellowship with God, but also we have access into the presence of God. Have you ever been somewhere where there is limited access? Maybe you need an identification or a badge in order to go beyond a certain point of a building or a place. Well, notice this, our identification or our badge today, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us the access into the very most holy place of the presence of God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the access now into his presence, but not only access, we also have confidence. Confidence. You don't have to be scared or reluctant. We can come with him with an assurance now, without doubting that he in his presence is going to meet our needs. There are often times we want to talk to somebody, well, I, I, I don't want to bother you so much, right? Or, or you're knocking at the office of someone's door and you're wondering if you have the permission to come in. Well, here, notice this. When Jesus went to the cross and he cried out, it is finished, the veil was torn into two. We have all access. There is nothing that separates us from coming with boldness into the very holy presence of God without, with assurance and without doubting to be ministered and our needs to be met there. That's exactly what he's saying. We have confidence. No, it's nothing to do with ethnicity, nothing to do with nationality, but everything to do with faith in Jesus Christ. There's no barriers. And notice it's not self-confidence, it's Christ's confidence. It's because of what Christ has done. That's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, what did Paul say? Let us therefore come boldly, an invitation to, to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly so that our needs can be ministered in his presence. Notice, if you don't understand this plan, if the Gentiles did not understand this plan, how would they have ever made any spiritual progress? If you don't understand that you have boldness, that you have access, that you can come with confidence, how will you make any spiritual progress? You must draw near. And if you understand your position in Christ, if you already know it, then it is our responsibility 
to live up to it. To live up to it. James chapter four, verse eight, what did James say? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. (laughs) Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Draw near to God today. Finally, verse 13, therefore, because of this access, because of the ministry, the opportunity that you have, I ask that you do not lose heart. Somebody needs to highlight, underline that this morning. That you do not lose heart. Don't become discouraged. Don't become sad because of my trials, Paul is saying. Because of my tribulations. Even in my trials, even in my tribulations, Paul was still being used in the service of God's eternal plan. He wasn't afraid to preach the truth. In fact, he goes on and he says this, for you, which is your glory, I'm suffering for you. You should be honored about this. This is your glory. You see, it's his faithful stewardship of the mystery of this plan that resulted in arrest and in the imprisonment. But at the end of it, it brought great glory and salvation to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul was being used here probably in a greater way than he ever imagined in his trial. In a greater way than he even imagined. Why? Because out of this trial, out of the Roman imprisonment, it produced letters to us like the letters of Ephesians. We get Colossians from there. We get Philippians. We get Philemon out of there, out of his time of trial. So he says, don't get discouraged. God is using me right now. Maybe today you're going through a trial. And God's trials certainly have a place in God's eternal plan. God, the trials in our lives certainly have a place in God's eternal plan. So maybe today you're going through a trial. You know the encouragement that we end with today? Don't give up as you're going through suffering for his name. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. Don't grow weary while doing good because in due time, in due season, we shall reap if we don't lose hearts. There are often times that we don't reap the harvest that God had intended for us. That we don't reap that harvest that God had planned for us because we became discouraged and we quit too soon. Paul says, and he tells the church, do not grow weary in doing good. Here in Ephesians, he says, don't lose hearts. Maybe today you're going through a trial or tribulation and God wants to tell you, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Draw near. Draw near with boldness. Draw near with access. Draw near with confidence because today in your trial, God wants to meet your need. It's always too soon to quit. And even in the most painful situations, I want you to know this, even in the most painful situations, If at the end of it, God used it for his glory, it was well worth it. Because it brought glory to God. So today you're saying, but I need strength. But I need strength in my trial. Yes, wherever God has you, he wants to use you, but you need strength. If you're discouraged and you need strength today, I'm gonna ask you, would you just stand on your feet?